roommate and I like filled a duffel bag with all the snack food we had in our room. My name is Alex Del Sordo and I'm with my father, Sam Del Sordo, here at Finish Line Shuttle Care. This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. Uh, this is Alex Del Sordo. Another, another, I do so many of these Zoom podcast interviews. I'm doing multiple a day, but I have another person I know nothing about. And that's what I love about this. I love that I can sit in my office in Baltimore, Maryland, and meet someone who loves rowing just as much as I do. And that guy is Corey Sanderson from Nashville. Corey, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I know we all spend our days talking about rowing, but uh, it's always it's nice to jump on and and talk to new people about rowing uh, when you get the chance. You people? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, Corey, I we start every episode pretty much the same. Okay, we say. I want to know, and I think the people that are watching and listen, they want to know where you started rowing, what your first stroke was like, or, or where you were when it happened. And that whole timeline up until today, when you are the executive director of National Rowing. So Corey, tell me how you started rowing, why you're rowing, the whole, the whole bit. Give it, give it to me. I want to hear it. Yeah. Is this where we do like the Scooby-Doo transition back, to, <laughs> yes. back in time? So That's the future. That's the yeah, future. there we go. The production value will continue to go up. <laughs> talk to zoom um so i uh i grew up in boston actually and uh, i grew up at a school my parents are both teachers and my my dad's an athletic director so sports were always kind of a big part of our everyday life i um, played football and wrestling and baseball um until i went to high school and was lucky enough to go to St. Paul's in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, went in with an idea of what rowing was, but not really any background in it. I apologize, I have two dogs that are probably gonna get upset when they hear me talking to someone and they're not allowed in. But um, I, so I went to St. Paul's and, um, you know, like, uh, probably a lot of people the rowing coach picked me out of the crowd because I was tall and so how, how tall are you six four Whew, big boy so, tall right. enough um a little less big than I am now but the uh the so the the rowing coach uh picked me out the funny thing was that my advisor was the baseball coach and he uh he had said you know there'll always be baseball when you decide rowing sucks and you can always come back to this. And so um, it's just a spring sport um, at St. Paul's, but, you know, I got to learn from some really unbelievable coaches there mm -hmm. and, you know, spent high school rowing in wooden King eights, which are beautiful. Um, and kind of, I, strangely enough, like this current situation with our high school seniors and college seniors, uh, resonates with me a little bit because my senior year of high school, we had uh, kind of one of those like hundred year floods that basically came through the middle of campus. Oh wow! And 
knock things out. And it's sort of, we woke up on a Sunday and I looked out of my dorm and there was like a waterfall between two buildings. And like, it was, it had kind of taken out the, the road in front of our dorm. And we didn't really understand what was going on. We thought, okay, we'll have to move for a couple of days. Like our roommate and I like filled a duffel bag with all the snack food we had in our room and like went up the hill to another. And then the next day they said, okay, everybody has to go home. And then we got a call the next day and said, like, school's done. Uh, we were like five or six weeks out from graduation. Um, we weren't allowed to go back to campus to get any of our stuff. So Corey, what, what, what year is this? Like what, what, what's that would have been 2006. So when did you graduate from St. Paul's? 2006. 2006. Yeah. So I was at Marietta college for a year mm -hmm. and it was when Katrina hit, right? Oh, four fall of Oh four. I think it was right. And we had lost, uh, we had lost everything in that flood. So I, I remember being like in the boathouse, moving boats up a hill. So I, I can imagine you kind of went through the same thing here. Um, and and yeah. a, a double bag of snacks. That is a perfect senior in high school kid to do. Like, yeah, very high school boy. And then yeah, I was like, I don't need clean underwear. I need Doritos. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, we were able, they were, so it like it knocked out the sewer system and it knocked out a bunch of stuff and it just wasn't feasible for us to go back to campus. So um, the school put on a pretty like Herculean effort to get things up and running enough that we could still have graduation. Mm -hmm. um, classes and obviously spring sports and stuff were so um at that point i knew that i was going to to bates college in the fall uh up in maine and i was planning to row in college um i didn't start rowing knowing or thinking that i would row in college um i think i actually thought i would probably wrestle in college so why is that? So what's what's the what's that decision? I mean, if you're rowing beautiful boats at St. Paul, <laughs> and you love it and all that. Like, yeah. why would you not at Bates, which is a great rowing program? Why would you just not say I'm going to row there? Well, so I knew I would row at Bates at that point, but uh, up until the winter of my senior year, I was um, well. So basically, my senior year of, of high school, I I got injured halfway through the wrestling season. Uh, came down on the top of my head. I uh, was in a neck brace for like six weeks, couldn't, couldn't wrestle anymore, was pretty much told that or football were no longer really viable options, um, which maybe in the long run, I'm thankful for uh, less yeah. times getting my bell rung. But uh, so I, I kind of went into the, the rowing coach and I said, do you think I can do this in college? Like, is this something you think I can do at the next level? And he said, yeah, you like, you've got to build and, and work hard. And, uh, what was, you know, uh, what were your earth scores? I mean, were you guys like, were you guys doing 2k tests and all that stuff? In, in high yeah. School? I mean, not, um, maybe I've just like blanked it out of my mind, but we've, <laughs> I'm sure we did more than, than I can remember. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to hear that you got injured as a, uh, you know, as a wrestler, but you're the guy that I hated in high school because you were the guy <laughs> doing winter workouts somewhere else, never touched in the erg, right? 
So I had guys that I rode with that played basketball. It's a mm -hmm. winter sport. And wrestling is a winter sport, I believe, right? Yep. So yep. And I also had two guys that I rode with that did winter sport. They would come in the last week of erg season and wouldn't have to do any of the hard stuff. And because yeah. they were a multi-sport athlete, they got away with it. Were you, were you that guy outside mm -hmm. of getting injured? Well, so I think the different, I guess the only difference is we didn't have a fall or winter season. It wasn't an option. Spring was oh. it. So, okay. uh, so I guess I would have gotten off the hook in that, in that part. So we were, we were required to do something every season until you're, I think a junior or senior. And then you could do like a, a season where you just go work out on your own or something. Right, so you, as a, as a student at St. Paul's, you have to do a sport in every season. I don't know if it's still the same, but I don't know why uh, we don't do that now in high school anyway. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree. It, it, so, and I, I'll dovetail into that when I get to teaching, but the, um, you know, so there wasn't a big erg season. Like I found myself in, in college and, you know, like I yeah. do now coaching club team. Um, so for me, like wrestling, wrestling is the only place, only other place that I've worked as hard as I do on an erg or in a boat. Uh, you know, a six minute wrestling match is the closest parallel I can think of to a, a 2K. There's just more starting and stopping. But um, so, yeah, I mean, one of my first 2Ks was at Crash Bees. In fact, I think my first 2K ever was at Crash Bees. And oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you, think, what did you, pull? Can you I think I was, I think I was kind of tricked into going, but, uh, some guys on the team, you know, we had some exceptionally fast guys on the team, um, that were older than me. Uh, my, my first year of rowing, our, our first boat was just winning everything. They went over to Henley and won the cup and just, it was like a, an aid of guys that looked like, you know, 30 year old. So, you know. <laughs> I, I was watching that and saying like, wow, like I'm not sure what I'm getting myself into, but like, I know like maybe that's down the road. Uh, sure. I mean, you guys, there, there's a history of your program being just right. absolute excellence. Right. That goes back um, decades. I mean, yeah. decades. so you were definitely yeah. very lucky and, and I wouldn't call it luck, but I mean, you were very fortunate to have been part of a team like that. So, so yeah, get absolutely. me into, in, in the base. So, mm -hmm. You go to Bates. Yep. Is this all four years in college? Like just yep. all four years of, of rowing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What so I started. What best did you see? Like what, what kind of, what was that training like versus the one season at St. Paul's every year that you had? Yeah. So um, obviously uh, different. Like I'd never been anything but an eight. I'd only ever rode port side. Oh. Um, I got to Bates and like the first week the coach was like, okay, like you're taking out pairs today and like Sanderson, you're going to roast starboard. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, I've, I've never really been the athlete that, that like looks at a coach and pushes back. Like I was more like, okay, I'm doing this really coach. And that's like, that's what I do. But let me, let me, let me, let me, let, look, I, I'm going to interrupt you a lot. Okay. It's just yeah, I that's who I am. I'm sorry. You, you, uh, that was actually something we discussed yesterday on a really awesome video that you'll be seeing pretty soon here. Okay. Um, it, you only ever rode eights mm -hmm. on port side. Yeah. That is the exact opposite 
of any international training plans ever. And that is the typical rowing experience of anybody in our sport in that in that era, you know, the, the early 2000s to call even 2015-16. Do you, do you do that at Nashville? Like, do you give <laughs> athletes the chance to row both sides? Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if, you know, with my guys, uh, especially as novices, when they don't know any better and they can't say, like, well, I only row port or, like, I only like being in stern six stern four or whatever yeah uh like i switch them around all the time i try to make sure uh that all all of my guys can skull um and if for no other reason like i put it to them like the the more you can do the more opportunities you have like why yeah. only have a chance at four seats in a boat when you could have a chance at eight or, that's yeah like why not learn how to skull and have that in your repertoire for training? Like if, if we're down a coxswain for the day, like, are you guys just screwed? Like, do you have to run that day or can I put you in a quad? You know? I love that. I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, it's, I wish coaches back when we were both training in high school um, did those same things. I mean, yeah. I, I remember going to Marietta, for my first year and saying the same thing. I was like, I'm a seven seat. I don't go in fours. I'm in the eight. That's where I belong. And remember man, Carrie saying like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, you can't, I'm not just going to put you on starboard side. Like this is, this is crazy. So was that the, the Bates method, the Bates mm -hmm. college was you in multiple boats, small boats, big boats, didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Was your rowing experience um, just better at the college level because of that? Um, well, so like, I don't, I don't fault my high school experience at all. Like we had a ton of kids on the team. I think we had six or seven eights on either side and wow, so many coaches. And, you know, as far as like maximizing what everybody can do every day, like eights made sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, my skill level certainly went up. Uh, you know, I kind of lived in six seat, I think in high school and then, you know, graduated to a wider range. Uh, but, you know, we did selection for the Charles and pairs. Um, oh. And, you know, we, we weren't racing pairs, you know, come regatta time, but the times that we did spend in those boats certainly made me better when I did sit back down in an eight. And, you know, over the course of four years, I, you know, I was stroke seed. I was, you know, five or six seed. I was somewhere that range, but, you know, on either side, you know, to be able to say like, Oh, I stroked a boat as going down the Charles on starboard side. Like if someone told me to do that in high school, I would have been like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> so I love that. Now, you graduated like 2010, I guess, from yep. Vegas. Is that yep. right? Mm -hmm. Did you carry on rowing after that? Any kind of like elite level training or did you just get into a career? Um, so when I graduated, um, I knew that I wanted to stay connected um, and I applied for a bunch of coaching jobs. Um, 
and then ultimately landed uh, teaching. I actually taught third grade for a year in Boston, um, which it was an experience in itself. Uh, Inner city third grade? No, actually the school I grew up at, I went back and taught um, alongside like people that were my teachers and like, Oh, that's great. Uh, wow. Grew up with. And um, then I went on and taught at a high school in Maine and part of, part of the draw to that school, even though they didn't have a rowing program themselves was that it was 15 minutes from Bates. Oh, wow. So I could stay connected who was the coach my last two years there so I was I was the men's team captain senior year and those were his first two years as the head coach at Bates um, and obviously he's done pretty amazing stuff uh, since then getting getting sides a lot faster than maybe we were back then um, so I was able to stay connected and, you know, at the time I was coaching football and then weight training and conditioning. I coached JV baseball, which was like the path of least resistance for a lot of kids who were like, oh, well, lacrosse is running and track is running. And like baseball, I just get to stand around. So then like these kids all came to baseball and I made them run all the time. Um, so so, you know, I'm writing down, like I'm, I'm writing down all this stuff to try to, yeah. to, to keep me, me, you know, down a path here. Yeah. You, uh, you spent a lot of time coaching and uh, doing other sports. Yep. How has, how have those experiences translated and helped you form your coaching style today at Nashville? Um, I think, I think all of it, like I'm a big believer in like, all this stuff being connected and like our, if you go on our social media, there's a lot of like processes, kind of our big hashtag. Um, and the process that, you know, each individual takes to get to their end goal, like is important. And whether your end goal is going, you know, 605 or, you know, squeaking under seven minutes, like those are two, those are both important important tracks and you know i i started uh you know i was an art major in college like i, I was a studio art major so you know i think <laughs> that. there's there weren't a lot of like and and i think for me teaching you know i was teaching drawing painting sculpture and printing and then i was the defensive coordinator for the football team and i had guys who were like <laughs> well, coach, like, what do you mean? Like, you teach painting? Like, can I paint? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing. Like, you're an athlete. And this is the same thing. Like, I have kids who sit, who would sit down with me and say, I can't draw. Like, I, and I would do that on the first day. I'd say, how many of you think you can't draw? Like, you're just predisposed to not be good at this. <laughs> and there's always somebody who raised their hand and said, yeah, me. But wow. I was like, but you're like, you're a good hockey player. So you train and you practice and drawing is the same thing, right? You're taking information in through your eyes, your brain's telling your hand to do something else. And they're like, that was just this like you know, <laughs> brain explode moment. So while I was teaching in Maine, um, you know, I was, I was living in a dorm. I was in the freshman boys dorm. I had 26, 15, 16 year old boys 
uh, like that sounds this. miserable. That sounds that sounds miserable. It's uh, <laughs> so here's here's the other funny thing. Like I grew up in that environment. Like my parents were dorm parents. I went to boarding school. I went to college. I graduated from college. And I went right to working in boarding school. Wow. Like, so until I moved to Nashville, I'd only ever lived in a dorm. Whoa. Living in a dorm full of like 15 year old boys, like it smells bad and it's loud, but like they're learning a lot of interpersonal skills that like most people don't learn until college. Hmm. Like how to live with someone that's not your family, how to like take yeah. care of yourself and be accountable and like deal with the consequences. If you decide like I'm going to stay up and watch a movie on my phone till 3am and then I have to wake up, like what am I going to do with that? You know? And that's the most don't deal with till college. And I think for me, it, it's not for every kid. Like it definitely does not work for all of them. But you know, for me, I felt the same way. Like I got to college and I didn't have that experience of, fall semester no parents like i get to do whatever i want and like i get my grades yeah i really like that i you know so i'm a parent i have i have two children and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm running in my head which one of my kids would do really well in that environment and my son graham is kind of a knucklehead he's four Like I, I think that he would just beat people up or something. Like he would, he would be sent home. Uh, and uh, I think Grace would be the one to do it. I think at six years old, I think she could do it right now. Uh, sure. And so, so girls are more mature than boys. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, no, not even, not even close, actually. Um, so okay, so so this is really interesting. I wrote down a lot of notes, and and what what we really strive for in this. Um, podcast zoomcast thing is that coaches like you your age we're, we're all the kind of the same age you're 32 i think um we want to hear your story so that they can take nuggets from that and say oh you yeah. know i'm gonna translate that into my rowing every day or you know maybe i should spend the winter coaching being an assistant coach at a wrestling you know sure. or maybe i should just do basketball and say hey i'll volunteer just to see how kids create their goals, their end goals, their future, how they translate that from the mind to the, to the hands. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot said, like, there's a lot to be said in that, right? That yeah. this, all this experience that you've co- co- accumulated over your, over your career has really helped get you where you are today. So now, yeah. now you, you've, done, you've done high school coaching and teaching in Maine. Yep. At what point do you get to uh, Nashville? Because that's a yeah. big, big change. <laughs> like, yeah, so not it's like a, a thousand miles away, and it's just yeah. way different. It's a hike. Um, so during all this time, um, when I was in college, I was like a counselor at like Northeast Rowing Center uh, back when like Bill Miller was stuff. Oh yeah, um, you know, got the chance to drive the launch for some great coaches um and that was basically our job like we slept in a cabin like made sure kids like the boys were staying on the boys side of camp and the girls were staying on the girls side of camp and then we could sign up for slots to drive launches for coaches you know so you'd drive a launch for jim deets or or, you know who like any number of people and just get to listen and like absorb uh, what they're doing. And I think that was probably where I, 
the seed like kind of grew in the back of my mind that like maybe coaching and like being in my own launch was something I'd be interested in. Um, so back, fast forward back to Maine's, um, my first year there, I, you know, was kind of trolling through like the road 2k classifieds and saw the post for junior national team intern and, uh, Jesse Folia at the time was the person posting it and, you know, was spend the summer in Pittsburgh and work with, uh, development camp and, you know, be a part of this. And like, so I, I sent him an email and I had all this stuff together and my, you know, my, uh, reference was Peter at Bates and he emailed me back and was like, well, it'll be pretty easy for you me to check your reference. Cause like he's right down the hall cause he was the assistant at Bates at the time. Wow. So, you know, I was spending one or two days a week over there, just like volunteering, helping. So I got to know Jesse pretty well. Um, and then was fortunate enough to start, um, kind of my junior national team uh, as an intern where I was like driving vans and like taking kids to laundromats and filling up gas tanks and, you know, like spending time with guys like Jesse and Rick Brown, uh, who was the three rivers at the time. And then making friends with guys who I'm good friends with now, like Eric Gerke and Steve McCarthy um, and guys like that. And you know, I did one summer and then I, you know, right when it was over, I was like, Hey, I want to come back. However you want me to be involved. Um, like, you know, uh, and every summer I've been doing that. So working with high performance or, you know, got the opportunity to be at a Chula Vista this summer, um, working with those guys. And, so let me, let me, let me chime in. So you're, you're, yeah. you're drop, your name dropping and we love that here on the podcast. They're all my friends. So I'm they sure they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I, I, I'll tell you, you, you are very, again, not lucky, fortunate to have been in the launch with Jim Dietz and, and some of these other guys. Cause yeah. I had a chance to be in the launch with Steve Gladstone. And, and I mean, I, I think I was texting CJ in the middle of it. Like, I can't believe I'm where I am right now. Yeah. And I was like trying to sell them boats and service, but at the same time <laughs> I was watching the best rowing in the world. Yeah. And I was listening to who I believe is the best coach in the world, uh, the sport of rowing. And I was learning so much and I was drawing from that and I was like soaking up a sponge. And, and the one thing, like, and you got to do that. Right. And that's when you realized, hell, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I mean, I, I want to have an impact on these athletes yep. for the next 20 or 30 years. But with that too, you, you've, you've been around people that have wanted to make rowing their career. Eric yep. Gerken, right? Like he's a prime example. I was coaching with against him when he was at Bishop Ireton yep. back 10 years ago. And uh, I, you know, I, I, he's at GW now, my, my alma mater. Yep. Uh, I'm very excited for him. But when you're around that group of people that, you want everyone wants to make it their career. It's the same thing that Mike Tatey and all those guys were 20 or 30 years ago, right? So yeah. we're sort of like your generation, sort of like the future of that high performance training and, and what's going to have an impact on, on rowing. And it really does matter who you surround yourself with. If you Absolutely. surround yourself with like-minded people, you are all going to achieve the same thing, if not better in some cases. Yeah. hundred um, percent. McCarthy, so, I mean, Gerke, I mean, those guys, I mean, these yeah. are guys that, 
that want to do this. And, and clearly you're one of them too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and Eric and Steve were groomsmen in my wedding uh, last year. So oh, there you go. You know, we, you know, I've been working with that group of guys and, and being able to watch like Casey Galvanics and Nick D'Antoni's and those type of guys and ride in their launches and hear them yeah. and coach alongside them, um, you know, over the last 10 years. And then still my, I guess it was my third, fourth year maybe. Um, and Eric was getting ready to leave Bishop Ireton mm-hmm. and come here to Nashville and uh, sort of talked me into coming with him. Both of us were looking to do something different. He was a teacher in DC. I was teaching in Maine and he said, you know, it, there's nothing juniors wise. Like that, that was part of why we came to Nashville. Um, and there was a master's club, um, that was small, but saw the potential and, and basically put a post out that was like, there's no juniors program here. I think they held a national learn to road day. Just take a free thing. And like 70 kids showed up. They were like, wow, like this is awesome. But like somebody, somebody can come in and do this. So, um, you know, Eric, we started off and Eric was the varsity coach and the executive director. I was the novice coach. Um, and then like, we all had like, or like 14 different, it's like we were coaching masters and juniors. I was community outreach coordinator and, and you know, kind of a little everything. Um, so that was uh, 2014. Was that all you were doing? You had no other job outside of just Nashville rowing? Um, that was it. I was also kind of a, a manny. Like I was driving a kid around and like doing some private lessons. But that That's was great. Um, yeah, and I, I knew like I was kind of taking a leap of faith. But, uh, you know, Eric's credit, he kind of sold me on the on the dream of he's a hell of a salesman i mean what, he's a hell of what a... was what was to be um it certainly wasn't like promise of riches or anything <laughs> uh you know i think any of us that decide to choose rowing as, as a career know that it's kind of a life of moderation but the uh um the really was like the potential like nashville as a city is well you know up until like the last few weeks like most places was you know, huge growth. Um, there's a river that runs through the middle of the city, like right through downtown. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Nashville, but I have. Yeah, no, I have. So yeah. Broadway, like all the honky tonk bars, that that runs right down to the river, and there's a pedestrian bridge over it. The head race that we host in the fall with with Vanderbilt Music City Head Race. Um, there's a, it's like a pretty straight 5k course straight down the river. The finish line is right there at Titan stadium. We've got, uh, you know, we went from like local Tennessee teams to, we had just over 600 entries last year. So, um, that, that sort of stuff, knowing that like we could put rowing at the forefront here in a city that's growing in the southeast where rowing is relatively young comparatively there's Uh, been an explosion of rowing in tennessee that i have not seen since 
probably like Chicago growth, right? Like Nashville, sure. I, there's a, there, there's a, it seems like there's a team popping up every other, every year. Like there's just a new program. And when it pops up, there's 50 kids, 60 kids, hundred kids that sign up. Yeah. And, and honestly, like for me um, and for us, like, obviously I want my kids to be fast and successful and enjoy what they're doing. Uh, but the only way for that to happen is for there to be other teams that are doing the same thing. So yeah. as a region, um, there's a lot of people in the Southeast. They're very like-minded. Um, you know, our Southeast coaches council, um, we spend a lot of time talking about like, how do we make good racing opportunities? How do we make sure programs aren't, you know, just falling through the cracks? Cause right now, you know, I need to, drive to Oak Ridge or Chattanooga or Atlanta or Florida um, or up, you know, towards Chicago to, to get uh, fast racing. And like, if there were three more teams in Nashville, then all of a sudden you've got a, you know, a city racing series. So to see, see that growth and, and make sure that, you know, I think it's easy to get like blinders and get insulated and like, just worry like what is my boat doing and what is my team doing and how can I be as fast as I can come nationals and then realize like maybe you don't have good competition to push you to get to that point. You know, there's, I, I'm, I'm reflecting on a story about Nashville and you, you brought up a couple things. You said you want really good racing. You have a Southeast committee that, that asks the right questions. If you were, if you've been rowing since high school, you want the same thing for your children or other high school athletes to go through the same thing. You want that yeah. same experience, if not better in some cases. I think that's beautiful. Now, yeah. with, with, with time, we can talk about this over and over again. I sure. actually want to know, given you're the, you're the executive director of the program, yeah. one in charge, what are you doing for your athletes right now? And what are you focusing on as the, athletic, uh, the executive director for your program? in this time of COVID-19? Yeah, so, you know, when stuff like really started looking like it was gonna get serious now, like a month ago, I guess, in mid-March, um, you know, I sat down with our board and I said like, okay, do we feel like we need to suspend programming? Was the first question and the answer was yes. Um, and then, if we do that, you know, what are the implications for our staff, for our athletes, um, and for us as an organization? And like as an organization, we don't exist without the athletes and the staff. So taking care of them is important. Yeah. And and the community, you know, we talk a lot about like the Nashville rowing family. Um, really as a community and not just like a conglomeration of separate teams. Um, so making sure that we were trying to retain and um, pay our staff so that they could maintain that community feel both for our adults and our kids. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our masters now are parents of current juniors or alums who had their kids coming home you know, saying like, I'm all in, I'm 110%, like, Beautiful. no, like, I'm not going to prom, I'm going to this race, like, this, and then just being, you know, like, I, I know you've 
sure heard this from other coaches or uh, other people, like that parent who's like, where'd my kid go? Like you, you changed my kids, like attitude and habits, their everything. Um, And that they're, they're really grateful. And, you know, we, we obviously like want to see kids go on to grow in college if that's for them. But uh, we just want to see them graduate from here with like skills that they can take on the rest of their life. Um, So in this particular time, I think it's pretty easy for, especially for a high school kid to see the like the end of this tunnel, like maybe getting further and further away. Like maybe they had regionals as their carrot and then that went away and nationals or, you know, for a smaller group of our kids, like junior national team and then see worlds is canceled or Canamex is postponed and, and stuff like that. And they start to see like that carrot gets like yeah. further and further out and the motivation part of it wanes understandably aside from the fact that they're like not with their friends and their team on a daily basis and that sort of interaction is is important um so i think you know when it started off we still had racing um like physical racing on the table that went away pretty quickly uh we entered some boats in march mania which was uh, a good carrot too uh, <laughs> they ended up uh, up against some pretty fast boats which is part of the deal and uh but i think what we've been working on as a staff is being able to both engage the athletes as a group still because that's a big part of it the community and being part of a team but also uh, we do a lot of small group sessions so like three or four kids talk about what they're doing what kind of challenges they're coming up against like probably about half our kids don't have ergs so they're running or biking or um something some form of cross training um i have spent the last like two weeks with the guys doing a lot of stuff on kind of like reframing our motivation and how they're valuing the work they're doing right now um knowing that like there will be something next whether it's uh in a boat or not and they value being fit and and the same you know the values that we kind of preach that rowing opens the door to and whether you're like training to do a 2k right now or you're just saying like okay i'm going to get up and i'm going to run a mile and i'm going to do a body weight circuit uh that there's value in that so we've done a lot of mindfulness sessions um some meditation, some quiet sitting, some visualization stuff. Um, and just just a lot of like reframing motivation and helping them set goals that they can still be excited about. So this is this is uh we've we've done many, I've said we've done many of these, Corey. And yeah. reframing motivation is that's the first time I've heard that phrase. And that is so important for for these young high school athletes. I mean, not, and you're right. Like it's, and no one else has said how important it is for these kids to be in front of their peers, right? Now that they can't be around their athletes and their friends. And, and and that's a big part of rowing in itself. I mean, rowing, yeah, it's an individual sport in some sense. I mean, you're, you're pulling your hardest and you're working your hardest, but it is the biggest team 
it's the biggest team sport there is. And I don't yeah. know anything better. And I really like that you, you know, you're doing this, you know, this, it's important for life. It's a life skills. You're, you're, you're focused yeah. on life skills for your athletes that they're coming home after all that and giving 110% in some cases through this. And the fact that you also have masters with a, like, whose children are still rowing, that right there is an ecosystem. Like you yeah. built this really awesome rowing ecosystem that supports one another. And yeah, and that's the hope too is, you know, obviously I love when, when our parents jump in boats and stuff and we, we kind of like give them some good natured ribbing to like turn to rows and stuff when we're at the food tent at, at regattas yeah. and stuff. But of course, you know, like I've, we've got, a master's men like everything and like any master's program from like former Olympians to like I'm 50 and I learned a row a month ago mm -hmm. but you know like we have a guy who played division one college basketball he's like six foot seven he's huge his daughter rode for us like I coached her as a novice um well she was the pole vaulter wow. ended up uh ended up going to UMass is rowing at UMass and her dad joined the master's team and obviously is an athlete. Um, and now just is like, you know, goes like six thirty, and come on, you know, like hop kit, you know, seeing things like that is exciting. And also seeing the like eighth grade boy who had like, you know, no muscle tone to speak of and like, you know, the like couldn't, catch his water bottle if you threw it to him that's my favorite story and like yeah become a man like we always joke that we need to take a uh like i know row new york takes pictures of every kid when they when they join the team and i like that yeah their coaches learn their name and their face and that's a big part of their specific programming but i always joke like i want to take a picture of a kid the first day they show up to like the day they leave because the difference is like unrecognizable. Day. Yeah. yeah, no. So there's a, I'm going to, I will tell you off camera my theory. Uh, and, and everyone will laugh like that knows me. I have a theory of what makes high school boys win championships. <laughs> and uh, I can't say it here because it's, it's a bit, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little different. So I'll tell you when we stop recording. But so I take notes in all this, Corey. And yeah. when I, after pulling all of this, there's a couple nuggets and a couple things that I really hope coaches um, sure. can hear from. And I'm going to repeat them because um, I always do this. But I one, I'll start at the at, at the at the top. Multi sports experiencing from coaching and performance how essential that is for the growth of rowing. Like I think that every coach now, and I'm going to harp on this, every coach should spend a season doing something else with sure. another program or with another coach even just get that experience to keep growing the sport. Um, you know, the, the fact that a guy in your wedding convinced you to come all the way down to Nashville is a beautiful story. It's like yeah. the lesson there. It's like, take the leap of faith, mm -hmm. go with your gut. Your gut was telling you, I got to do this. And now you probably have, I don't know, North of 150, maybe 200 people at your club. Mm -hmm. And you're a powerhouse in the South. I mean, you are a fast program. And that, that goes into just trusting your instincts. Um, and then in this time of day, reframing the motivation, that is such a good way to put it. You know, you gotta, you gotta take, 
couple of your athletes and talk to them and, and change what they're excited about in this period of time. And yeah. I really hope coaches can learn from that. But the other thing that we do that's fun is that we um, come up with names for these, sure. these, these uh, you know, podcast things. And there's this one phrase that you said that really stuck with me. It's just, <laughs> I don't need clean underwear. I just need Doritos. And that, oh, Lord. <laughs> that was you, your <laughs> senior year of high school, you know, yeah. just, and high I just, school I, boy brain. Yeah. The high school boy brain. I, I don't need clean underwear. I just need yeah. Doritos. Like I love, I don't know. I, I mean, there's other things that you said in here that were really funny. Duffel bag of snacks, you know, just yeah. <laughs> little things that I think works really well. But uh, yeah, that's great, funny. Great. Thank you for being a part of our Zoomcast podcast. I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, I know everybody's getting a little zoomed out, probably, but the uh, it's nice to still get on and and still have meaningful conversations. And, yeah, and you know, whether it's with you guys or athletes and you know, everything in between. This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. Rower's Choice is made up of finish line shell repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.